this life, gotta make your own deals, chase your own thrills, pay your own bills, on the outer loop, sitting on chrome wheels, phone synced up to the newest chrome bills, on air, who cares if it's right or wrong, I just care which guests they invited on, without a minute to stall, and there was liquor involved with some hype songs, and the night is young, right on cue, the talking begins, and we check out what Steve Bills got on the blends, a bit grimy. A backdrop from the late 80s to the mid 90s Till it finally takes us to a rhythm that works And K. Chrome spits a verse that he didn't rehearse Both flex skills, proving it's all in So gather round for the newest installment, Chrome Bills Episode number... Peace, Grown Billionaires. This is C's Mikes. And once again, I have the honor and the privilege of talking to Slug of Atmosphere. We're going to discuss a number of things, uh, not the least of which is the new Atmosphere album, Fishing Blues, which is available via Ron Shares Entertainment at pretty much every available music outlet known to man. Slug, how are you doing today? Man, I'm good. I'm good, man. Thanks for, uh, for having me back on. You said once again, and that reminds me, I feel like the very first time... I spoke with you was in 2005, uh, and I don't mean the first time I spoke with you, but I mean the first time I spoke with you for your show. Would that make sense? Um, no. The, the no. Bills podcast is, uh, so you and I crossed paths in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, in New York. Uh, actually, the first time I met you, it's, uh, it's funny because the first conversation I actually had uh, I was the opening act when you played at the University of Maryland. You were with uh, Idea and Ability. That's and what it was. Not yeah, not New York. Uh, University of Maryland, and I'm trying to think. Was Immortal Tech there as well? No, it was actually just. I think Edon was. Uh, Edon also played, but you guys had literally just driven down from the uh, what's the college billboard, the CMU. Man, I don't. I, you know. Whatever it was in New York. So wait, the bi- you're saying Beyond was there too? No. E- remember Edon? Guy from uh, oh, yeah. Eastern Maryland. Oh, yeah. Edon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you know who else was at that show? There was another. Uh, um, man. Jay Moore from Seattle had a group. Yeah. And they, yeah, they played too. And they were called... Uh, Oh, you know, the minute I get off the phone, it's going to come back to me. Right. But no, right. They, they were called Labor, uh, Source of Labor. Yes. And it's funny yeah. you mention that because the guy who put that show together, uh, Mark Matsui, I don't think you'll mind me putting his name out there. He was from Seattle. He was at Maryland for, I think, less than three months. And in the time that he was there, he booked you guys, uh, which is awesome for me because I've been a fan of Overcast since then. And then that show was actually the first time that I crossed paths with you, with idea, with abilities. Uh, I'd known Edon for a while, but... That memory always just stuck uh, stuck out in my mind for a number of reasons, including how gracious you were to all of the people. And now that I'm remembering it correctly, you guys had literally just driven down from CMJ, uh, the big yeah. college music thing up in New York. And um, That's right. I remember That's talking right. to the guy who had driven you down, and he was telling me how just sort of everybody was just tugging at your coat strings, and you just never lost patience, and you gave everybody a little bit of time. And that was probably about 15 years ago, and that memory's always stuck out to me. That's uh, you know, it's crazy that I even can remember something from 15 years ago, considering. Right. But, but uh, I do remember that show. There was a, I met you. I, that was the first time I met Egon. I also uh, met Artemis. Yes. Uh, yep. yep. He was there that night, and um, 
I feel, and that was also the first time that I'd met Jay Moore, but I feel like there was somebody else. I, but it's crazy because, you know, it was a, that was probably 2000 or 1999, 99 or 2000. And it, it, it was, uh, man, it's, 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 it's interesting to see how different it was, like, meeting artists and networking back then than it is now, you know, especially because I still get to work with a lot of uh, young artists, a lot of upstarts, you know, and I still cross paths with people, but to watch the type of networking they do now compared to what we were doing back then, we were super primitive about this. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of like, I mean, I guess technology was as well, so everybody wasn't so, you know, connected with the, with the, with the computers in their pockets and whatnot. But it's just interesting because it was like, well, I met Egon there, and it wasn't until Scribble later that we even crossed paths again. Whereas nowadays, when these kids meet each other, it's like they're bumping into each other on such a regular basis. Like it's like the network is very, very tight and very full and supple, like a boob. <laughs> and it's a booby network. Whereas back then, the network was like really loose, and we were, you know, we were all just kind of figuring out how to do it. You know what I mean? It's like we were, I guess everybody was kind of writing the blueprint for what is here today, you know? Well, it's interesting you make that point, and just to, uh, just for, to uh, satiate the screams from my co-host, Stephen Chuck, uh, the first time you appeared on Chrome Bills was episode 61. Uh, and that episode, like all episodes of Chrome Bills, is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, you make a really interesting reference to figuring out the different dynamics and the different time periods of networking. So I'd always enjoyed what you guys did uh, with the When Life Gives You Lemons promo items, you guys at the grocery store. I really got a kick out of what you guys are doing now with the Fishing Blue stuff, um, particularly the series of videos with Sway, where he came out and did some fishing with you and Ant. Um, are these decisions that you that you make personally and then run by rhyme sayers? You sit down with rhyme sayers. Is it collaborative? You and Ant. How do those decisions come about? You know, often uh, the artists. You know, most of the ideas are artist based. Um, they come from the artist. Uh, in, in in my you know specifically in regards to me and Anthony, we bring a bunch of ideas to the table, and then the label starts to kind of chisel away at them. You know, because a lot of times we'll come. We, we we come with things that are outlandishly unrealistic, but then we figure out how to chisel it into something that we can do. You know what I mean? And that's kind of always been the process. Now, you know, I've been working with this label for so long, obviously, that, you know, there's there's plenty of people here that already kind of know me in and out, know how I work. So often other people, you know, when we start to have our – our meetings about marketing and things of that nature or uh, even just about creative content or, or, or what have you. You know, plenty of the people that work here in the office already kind of have a, somewhat of a taste for where I'm going to go. So sometimes they'll bring ideas to the table as well that also still kind of – that they feel fit into my vision. You know what I mean? And so it's almost right. like even if, uh, you know, for instance, let's say the the Fishing Blues series that we were doing with Sway um, was – an idea that I had, however, I had a different version of it, and it was uh, it was it was it was different, and it was it was kind of ridiculous. It, it, it didn't make any sense. But I was like, "Here's an idea. How do we take this idea?" And somebody else was like, "Well, I've been talking to Sway uh, when he was here for Soundset about fishing." So it just happens that hey, well, let's call Sway and see if he'd be down to do this, go fishing with us, but interview us at the same time. You know what I'm saying? And so it's it, so it, it's like the, the the idea is born in different 
places sometimes, and they come together to form as a actual action. You know what I mean? And I, I think it's very similar to how I guess a lot of you know group think works nowadays. You know what I'm saying? It's like you 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 come to the table with something that you know it's not necessarily possible or even a smart thing to do, but you go, hey, there's something about this that's interesting to me. What can we take from here? What is the best parts of this and what can we use to apply? You know, and 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 so you know, as long as I have some sort of vision for what I want the approach to look like or smell like or taste like, then it's usually pretty easy for me to sit down with these guys and, and start and start coming up with things. Now, that doesn't mean they always work, you know, for instance, uh I think there was one record we did a therapy sessions and filmed them and created these uh, little vignettes of, of me and Anthony and Nate and Eric, uh, who were in the band at the time, uh, sitting and doing family therapy with a with a therapist. And I loved it, but I don't know that the audience cared much about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you know, it's funny. It's funny. And I, I don't mean to cut you off, but this is one point I wanted to make in terms of in the dynamic of not just you and Ant, but you and then uh Eric and Nate, when they were working with you, if I got those names correctly, if not, I apologize. Uh, but your ability to work with people as a whole, and I think it sort of relates back to what we were talking to earlier about the networking. You've always been very good at that. And one of the things that stood out to me during the family therapy session videos, which are awesome, and it was for Blood Makes the Blade Holy, the EP, if I remember correctly. It was it was for the actually the family signed record. But, yeah, same era, same era. Okay. Um Somebody said, I think it was Ant, he was like, you know, Sean's very good at getting his way and making you think that his way is your way. You know, he's, and he's, and, you know, he was like, he's not, you know, manipulative about it and there's nothing nefarious about it, but he's very good at doing that. Um, That's pretty great that you remember that. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's, it's those kind of things that I think, it's funny, like, I'll go back and listen to sort of, like, the mid-'90s stuff when, like, on the Cypress Hill cover, you know, you, you didn't see anybody's face. And it might be, you know, five or six years until you saw a video that, like, you saw someone's face, and then ten years until you read an interview where you sort of got insight into what their personality was like. Your promotional items, I think, have always given fans uh, an insight into the relationship between the band members um, that you might not get, you know, just by listening to the music. Is that intentional? Is that something you guys want to give the fans, or is that just a byproduct of you guys doing the promo items? I think it's just a byproduct of the promo items mixed with even um, the, 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 the way we kind of go about all of this, you know, from making records to touring to, uh, you know, dealing with people face to face, like there's elements of what we do that have a lot less to do with our musical talents and more to do with just our personalities that I always felt like I'm not afraid to use that strength as well. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, right. I, I've never really looked at this like how do I convince people to buy my records? I always looked at this like how do I convince people to join my cult? Or how do I convince people to back me, to believe in me, not just my rapping? And, and technically, you know, if you don't like my rapping, fine. But how can I still convince you to get behind what my vision is or what my ideas are or what I'm trying to communicate? And so because that's the same way that I kind of I play the other side of this that way, too, you know, as a as a as an advocate for other artists on the label or, or what, what have you, you know, there's, there's plenty of artists that I've worked with that I've not necessarily 
you know, been like, this is the new Rakim, this is the new Big Daddy Kane, you know, but more so, I go, this human being is amazing to me. And so, therefore, I'm going to get behind this human being and what their vision is, regardless of whether or not I think I'm a doper rapper than them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, totally. I, I feel like, uh, in a way, that's just kind of just an element of who I am. So it does make its way into these weird little YouTube campaigns or even when you kind of look at the look at even our merch line or look at the interviews with me or what have you. I don't never I've never pretended like my strength is my rapping. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like my strength is my sales pitch. And it's always kind of been like that. I always joked about how I was going to go into sales. This rapping thing was going to make no money for me, dude. I was going to I was going to sell wholesale flowers and I was going to kill the game, bro. And right. And and so, you know, this is all kind of just a byproduct of that, you know. As a kid, I was the kid that was trying to talk people into stuff. Yeah, it's like you say around and around. I was always good at talking people into dumb shit. You know, and and the other thing I was going to say is that the I, I don't know if irony is the right word, but the serendipity of your group's name being atmosphere. You know, when you look at pictures um, from shows that you guys have done over the years and the audience and the venues and the lighting and the sound, it's such an atmosphere for people to come have a good time and have a party. Even if, I mean, I, I from my perspective, I can't imagine someone paying to go see your show and not at least being you know, partially into the music. But even if somebody, let's just say they were deaf or they didn't speak English or anything like that, the vibe and the atmosphere that you guys provide uh, has always been what's, what struck me. I mean, personally, I think you're absurdly talented as an MC. But what I've always respected, uh, you know, with what you and with Ron, what Ron Sayers has done with everybody is providing that, that atmosphere. I mean, I appreciate that, for starters. Thanks for saying the nice things. Um, I think that it's, you know, I got a friend, uh, Brother Ali, actually, who has said this to me before, and I fully believe him now, you know, but when, I remember when he first said it to me, I was like, huh, that's a really interesting take on it. But the name you choose when you're choosing a name for yourself as a rapper or the name for your band, it's it's it says a lot about you, even if you weren't intending it to. It Eventually, you grow into that name or that name grows into you. It becomes a part of what you do, what you are. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, you know, if I would have called myself, you know, yeah, crappy asshole number one, I probably would have became <laughs> crappy asshole number one. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, right. it's, it's so I feel like, you know, with that, I don't know that I could ever, like you said, it's serendipitous. I can't take credit for us providing a good atmosphere because our name is atmosphere. But I'm sure there is some sort of, there is some sort of element of just uh, the universe at work. You know, I man, I don't want to sound like a hippie. I strangle hippies, but it, it is what it is. You know, I, I feel like there's a, a, a element of just you know you, you you take you you if you ca if you take that bus you'll get there. Didn't he say that? That was CB4. Uh, <laughs> I agree with you. Is all I'm trying to say here. Okay. Well, it, it's interesting because, and with you know the social and political climate right now, and you've been very vocal about your support of Black Lives Matter and people like Dr. Jill Stein. It, it sort of goes back to the name, the original name of Atmosphere, if I'm correct, was Urban Atmosphere. Yeah. And at some point you guys decided to drop the Urban. What what was the reason behind dropping the Urban? And it's, it's funny you mentioned about Brother Ali talking about the initial name. You guys have always, I know your fan base is predominantly white, myself, you know, being from the suburbs and everything like that. 
what's your take on, I guess, what's the, I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this question. When you decided to drop the urban atmosphere, has there ever been any thought process, hey, we should put that back or we should wrap that a little bit more? Nah, you know, it was never, the reason we dropped the urban was because the word urban started to become like the new code uh, word. Hot topic word. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, when we had the name Urban Atmosphere, there was not even an Urban Outfitters here in town. And then suddenly right. somebody opened up this store uh, on a really busy intersection called Urban Outfitters, and we were like, well, that sucks. And then there was another rap group from here called Urban Brutality, and we were like, ah, there's a lot of urban. You know what I'm saying? And so we were just right. like, well, what if we drop the atmosphere? You know what I mean? And we were like, well, let's let's just try it and see how it feels because we could always take the urban back. And it felt fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I missed it because for, like, at least a year I was used to having it. But after we dropped it, you know, it only takes you six months to get over your ex. You know what I'm saying? And so after six months, I was like, all right. Right. Uh, that's not a scientific fact, by the way. I was <laughs> arbitrarily throwing that number out there. So. Yeah, you but might have to post a link to the study on Twitter for that one. Tweet me, being like, "Man, I'm still heartbroken. It's been three years." Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, 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 I guess you know, once we dropped it, it just it was fine. We just kept it moving. You know, the word atmosphere didn't ha it, even. Today, it's still, it's not quite as hard as urban atmosphere, but the word urban is not really that much harder anyway. You know what I'm right. saying? Especially now, you know, even that word has kind of lost its power. You know, in 1991, it was a good, it was a great word. You know what I'm saying? But, but, you know, in 1993, it was good, but by, by 94 or 95, it was okay to just be atmosphere. Well, here's, here's a, a tangent I wanted to go off on with you. When one of the lyrics that stuck out to me, uh, over the first, and I've listened to Fishing Blues several dozen times since I've listened to it. I encourage our listeners who aren't familiar with your music. Uh, by the way, my fiance, when I was, I put her onto your music, we were driving back last week when the album dropped, and she just looked at me, she's like, is this guy single? I was like, oh shit, I got something to worry about. But one. <laughs> I think she was just asking that because there's a particular song on there that's like so disgusting and and creepy that it would probably imply that I likely will never find a partner. Hey, listen, if you're going to masturbate to a sleeping woman, it might as well be your wife. You know well, what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But I'm just saying, like, if she, when she said, is this guy single, she was probably just trying to get you to confirm the fact that she probably already assumed, yeah, this guy is probably going to be single forever. <laughs> Who the hell is going to lock up with this dude? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, just to calm any kind of concerns. So one of the lyrics that stood out to me on, was on Seismic Waves. Things ain't been the same since Trayvon shit. Things ain't been the same since Reagan Wait, Ain't a single thing changed from the days when the gods went crazy and broke the languages. Now, we were just discussing the impact of words, how they can become marginalized in one area. One era, their impact can be a little bit heightened in another era. Do you feel like, you know, with all the technological advancements that mankind has made as a species, um, that we're still sort of on the same path since, I'm assuming you're referring to Babylon and all that stuff, or do you think that there is hope? As, as mankind increases? It's mm. a good question, you know, and, and, and probably depending on my mood or what day it is, I could probably give a different answer to that question. You know, currently, I'm in a great place. I'm having a great day. Uh, my kids are healthy. Uh, wife just broke her toe, but, you know, uh -oh. toe should be all right. Should be all right. Um, so in, in my world, there is hope. But, on, you know, tomorrow I'm going to, again, be worried about, 
what's going on here in my city in regards to uh, the kind of disassociation that's happening between uh, the different communities and what's going on in my country as far as the, the different communities. Uh, just not that we weren't already disassociated, but just how uh, how how in our face it's becoming and how much pressure it's putting on all of us to actually activate and do something either negative or positive about it. I don't know what way it's going to go. Then you know you got the problem with the, the water rising and in the in the in the world getting a little warmer and just you know so on and so forth. Yeah, I'm concerned. I don't know if there's hope. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it, you know if it, if it actually harks back to Babylon or if it's more of a I'm just kind of uh, worried about my basically at this point it would be my grandchildren or my great grandchildren's future. Let's see. You know, of course we we, we have room to shorten that up though, don't we? Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I am super worried and concerned. But here's the thing. I've worked myself into a position of privilege to be able to be worried and concerned about that because, you know, there was a time in my life and in, in, in many people who surround us in their lives where there is so much going on for them and there is so much struggle right in their face that, you know, thinking about the rising water levels is like the last thing that they got time to think about. You know, for me to even be able to sit back and, and consider, you know, how I feel about GMO labeling, that means I'm sitting in a position of privilege. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it's right. crazy that, you know... Oh, you know, I support Stein and in the upcoming election. And I get people on Twitter all the time like sending me some snarky, sarcastic comments about, you know, how I am privileged to be able to support Stein. There are people in this country that don't have that privilege. They have to support Clinton because they can't let Trump win. And you being able to support Stein is a position of you, yo, Trump, Clinton, who cares who wins for me, right? You know, it's like all of this is these are these are real thoughts. These are real factors, and these are real things that we all got to kind of take a look at because it's it's real. You know what I'm saying? But but yeah. But, but so in that in that in, you know with that like to bring it back to the original question. You know, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. You know that line in particular. You know, is are we still on this trajectory from Babylon to now? Well, of course we are because you know it's a the, 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 on the graph. You know, humanity is only so long. And and it's 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 started at point A and it's at whatever point it's at now and it is one movement you know that nothing has come along to alter our path as humans yet we just don't really know what our path is heading towards you know what I mean right. like, I do I do believe in us as a species as a as a species of bacteria and as as far as that goes or or you know what I would even go as far as to say uh, uh, we're we're kind of like. Uh, uh, what do you? What's what's the word for something that like eats off of something else? What's that called again? Uh, a virus, a parasite. A parasite, sure, a parasite. You know, uh, as as a parasitic species, we have no choice but to keep it moving. So we're just gonna find another planet to go and chew up. You know what I'm saying? And truth be told, you know, on, on any given day, I might try to argue with you that that's probably what happened before we came to Earth. Right. You know, Earth was just the next step. Like, oh, look, we found another green one. Go get it. Right, right. Uh, to clarify for our listeners, Dr. Jill Stein is the presidential candidate of the Green Party. And one of the interesting things that I came across in you know, looking at some interviews that you've done is for someone to come to you and say, well, listen, I have to vote for Hillary to prevent Donald Trump. I, I do understand that line of reasoning, but I also think a valid response to that is the same people that have voted for Nader in the past and that at some point 
enough momentum has to get behind a third party and a fourth party and a multi-party system. Yeah. Um, and that's almost the, I mean, I think Donald Trump is probably the exception and not the rule. I think he is one of those dudes. He's just so vile that that you know uh, you that know, can't happen. Listen, man, here's the deal. The reason Donald Trump did happen, though, and don't forget, this is we do not have to like him. Obviously, we don't want him to be our president. But the fact that he's made it to the where he has in itself is also revolutionary. It's just right. the wrong kind of revolutionary. But it's something. Something is happening inside of the system that is, is it's going to make for some, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch this as it goes. Now, me personally, I think Trump is, uh, what, what do you call a, a, a sociopath? <laughs> that's great. No, uh, well, that too. Uh, I, I feel like he's a, a ringer. I feel like yeah. this, is, this isn't yeah. real. He's here like to a help, straw man his, kind to help of his friends, the Clintons. You know, it's it's interesting how every time, like, every time somebody comes out and says, oh, he's, he's polling well, he's, he comes out the next day and says something just utterly ridiculous to make sure that people don't vote for him. Right. And so I'm just kind of like, you know, when it's all said and done, here's a guy who was like, I got a great fucking idea. I'm going to run for president in hopes of kind of... Uh, throwing the GOP into disarray, and 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 best case scenario is that I come out even with a better chance at a reality TV show than going in, and uh, and you know, and and my friend Hillary is the only person that they decide can can defeat whether it be you know because remember at the time there was like three of them on the block there, and it wasn't just Trump. Trump managed to knock the two out, which I don't think he saw coming. Right. By any means, but when it happened, now he's sitting there going, "Fuck!" Worst case scenario is I actually get elected. Right. In which case, I do believe that GOP is ready with a contingency plan to eject and 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 impeach. There's no way that this guy. It'd be like me getting the presidency. There's no way you're not going to find a good reason to kick me the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, well, it's 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 the parallel, and I, <laughs> I hope nobody takes this out of context. But the parallel between Slug and Donald Trump is this. Uh, and the way that you said, you know, <laughs> you, you never felt that your rap itself was the, the strongest aspect of your hustle, was your ability to sell yourself. Yeah. You know, the way he's able to, to mobilize himself, all he is is a personality. I mean, yeah. you could make the argument that business-wise, he's not a success or a failure. Like a lot of other people in real estate, it really depends on, you know, which five-year period you're looking at him. Yep. But he's been very good at manipulating social media. The other thing about it to me, and that, you know, and to your point, in that you've always been very good at that, selling yourself. The other thing that's crazy to me is, so when you look at Brixton, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, Brit, the Britain's decide, decision, to, yeah, Brexit, I'm, yep. I'm terrible with that concept. Anyway, when you look at the way that the voting on that broke down, people in urban areas, particularly um, places that were diverse populaces, they were all for staying in the, the European Union. Mm-hmm. And it was the old, basically the old white people in the outskirts of Britain that were just like, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being marginalized. I'm tired of seeing people that don't look and act like me, you know, come into this country. And I feel like that's the same kind of mentality in America that people are aspiring, you know, they're projecting that on the Trump. Whereas, you know, I think you make an excellent point. I don't think he's really thinking that. I think he's like, I, I literally have nothing to lose. 
what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Become more popular, yeah. and I don't become president, which I'm not sure I wanted to do in the first place. Truthfully, I think he sees the worst thing that could happen is he actually wins. You know, I think he's ready right. to, yeah. to be second place so that he can take that and go turn that into a, a best-selling book as well as, a, as well as well as a television show. You know what I'm saying? As well right. as a movie. As well as, you know, he's just adding to the legacy that he sees, which is his, you know. And the crazy thing is, as a, somebody who comes from uh, uh, the, the mind state that I come from, which is, you know, this mind state that was, like, totally informed by hip-hop and the experiences that I've had, I relate to a part of that. You know, I necess- I don't think I would ever go and do that. But like you said, you know, he his his political game is probably his weakest game. He's stronger right. at so many other things, but it's helping him excel in the political game. Much like I I kind of see like my rapping is not my biggest strength. I can rap. I know how to rap. You know what I'm saying? Like I know how to make it happen, but some of my strengths I think are just more based in my 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 uh I don't. I don't know. I, I, here's here's how I see it. You know, From the outside looking in, you're you're very good at framing an argument, a situation. I think that you're very good at putting a frame around the situation, and then whatever you decide to paint in there on the canvas. That you know, in terms of the rap. Again, I'm a fan of it, but I could see where you might think. And I think that's the thing that Donald Trump. You know, when you look at his tweet, his tweets. It's the same cadence, the same, this is ridiculous, exclamation point. You know what I mean? Like, he's very good at framing the scenario to benefit him. And, again, I don't think that – I, I realize that the comparison between you two falls short on a lot of different levels. But, yeah, I think that's a good insight on your part to realize that there are some similarities. Well, and, and, if, and in the case any listeners are confused about what we're talking about, just remember I'm the one that doesn't have the spray tan. Right. <laughs> All right, let's get away from uh, – let's get off the political stuff and get into the important stuff. I have some uh, some questions from audience members, um, including one, and he told he promised me that you would remember this, and I'm hoping that the incident is so specific that you do. Uh, it's a guy named Inspector M on Twitter, and he asks, do you always try to buy pregnant women drinks on airplanes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Yeah, uh, you know – no. Do you remember that situation at I all? I totally remember that situation. Okay. I, okay. Somebody tweeted me while I was actually on the flight, and it was like, my wife's on that flight. And I tweeted back just to be funny. I was like, oh, do you know what seat she's in? I'll send her a drink. And he was like, she's pregnant. You know, and it was just like, oh, great. Right. Right. Like, right. I just, right. like, how do I how do I respond to that? How do I, so then I, I don't know what I said. Maybe I was like, oh, so do I, should I get her too? You know, uh <laughs> That's great. No, and I, you know, obviously I wouldn't have actually bought her. Right. Uh, I would have, you know, I'd smoke some weed with her. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another question is from Victoria Gebhardt, also on Twitter. And this, I, one of the things I wanted to reference earlier was, I know that you're ahead. I'm ahead. I, I mean, Sway, his impact on hip hop as a culture is just, it's, it would take much more time than we have here to get into. And for your audience, for our audience, for my audience, it's not aware. Sway was a radio personality, still is, obviously, but has been involved in some of the most important moments in hip-hop history, including the Hobo Junction and Hieroglyphics Battle. I mean, that guy's imprint on hip-hop has just been amazing. And that sort of... Sway, Sway is... You could argue Sway's the reason why Eminem found Dre. And vice right? versa. You know, yeah. it's like Sway, behind the scenes... Sway is definitely, like, in, in my books, uh, top five influencer 
of where this music has gone. And I get the impression, too, um, and I'll just go off on this little tangent here. I haven't met him before. I've never even, like, crossed paths, just, you know, given a head nod. He genuinely seems like a good person. Man, he's he amazing person, man. Like, he's, he's his way of dealing with people is so warm. Like, you know, when we, I've hung out with him before. Even watching him deal with, like, strangers, just as, you know, people who came upon us as we were out that day filming, you know, people at the hardware store or wherever, his just way of interacting with humans and with people is beautiful, man. Uh, it's, it's like, really the only other person I know that I could equate to that is Brother Ali. You know what I mean? It's like, right. and, it's, and it's crazy, too, because I don't know that a lot of people necessarily know that about Ali or about Sway. You know what I'm saying? Because, or, you know, when, when, you, when you talk about people who are in the spotlight, you don't really consider what they're probably like out of the spotlight unless you hear a negative story about them. It's just not something that we we really consider. You know, it's like, I, I don't know if I've ever wondered what Usher is like <laughs> when he's not being Usher. You know what I'm saying? But the minute I hear a story about, you know, him being on the Santa Monica freeway, you know, shooting guns at Chris Brown or something, that's when I'm going to be like, oh, that's what Usher's like, huh? You know what I'm saying? Right, it's like, right. So, so in that in that regard, it's like, we don't, I don't know, we don't always get that opportunity to really, like, think think in those terms. And so, I, but I can I can totally commit to, to vouching for Sway. It's just, he's a beautiful human, man. He's a, he's a great person. And I'm not just saying that because I know him or like him. I aspire to be like that. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. Well, to that point, uh, the question that Victoria asked, and I'll let you take this in whatever direction you want. How do you feel about being as big as you are? And I mean that in terms of you can take that celebrity, um, art, from my view, just the prolific amount of music that you made, artistic accomplishment. I choose to take it physically. I've gained <laughs> a lot of weight over the last few years. It started with when, uh, when my wife got pregnant with uh, Malcolm, which is my second son, her first son. Uh, I took a year off from touring. I took a full year off from hanging out. All I did was stay at home and write songs and practice hypno babies, hypnotherapy with her uh, for the for the coming child. And what is what is that hypno babies? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a hypnotherapy that's used uh, to help uh, people go through labor. And okay. I would practice it with her because I saw no reason not to learn new forms of meditation. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and she was spending time doing it, so why not? So I would take a break from uh, sitting out on my back porch smoking cigarettes to go inside of the house and practice, you know, meditation for an hour. Then I'd go back out and write songs until 5 in the morning in, in, uh, in 20 below weather because there was no heat back there. I would, you should see me. I'd, I'd be bundled up in total snow boots, snow clothes on my back porch writing on a computer that I would have to take into the house to thaw out every 30 minutes for five minutes. You know what I mean? I got right. And, and but but the only other thing I did also was I ate with her and we both you know we pregnant ate and so I started to gain weight and then I was like oh I like this because you know I don't know I'm sure you might remember but a lot of people might not I used to look like I was about to die I was like <laughs> one of the skinniest human beings on stage at any time you know what I mean I see old pictures of myself like at the Blaze Battle in New York with uh, with idea I look so gaunt I look like a I look like a, a, a Enrique Iglesias on crack. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was just out of control. So I was starting to gain weight and was like, man, this is amazing. And I was feeling it. Uh, And then shortly after that, we had the kid. 
I shouldn't say shortly, but you know how it works nine months later, or at least that's what the myth says. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we, we had a kid and I quit smoking cigarettes, which slows down the, 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 slows down your metabolism. And then I had to get knee surgery because I tore, uh, uh, uh I, I tore my meniscus. And so it took me off my feet for a little while. And just through all of that, I came back with a bigger frame. So I started working out, trying to take some of it and turn it into muscle. And, you know, it's a work in progress. How do I feel about it? I feel okay about it. You know, I won't front. Like, there's days, like, if I catch myself having sex with my wife in the mirror where I'm like, whoa, I'm a big dude. But then for the most part, I feel pretty okay about it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's it's like, you know, I'm I'm – it's been a long time coming, and I finally have the body that my dad had when he was this age. You know what I mean? And 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 I I still got time to work it out. You know, I just gotta man, I I gotta I gotta break this addiction to sugar. Like that's really the, ah. the last place for me because I do a ton of cardio, I do uh, some weight training and, and and some core work, and and I eat pretty good, but I just have this thing, man. I'm a sucker for treats. You know what I'm saying? Donuts, cookies, things of that nature. And once I can figure out how to break that then I'm probably going to at least get to a, a, a size that is attractive to, to uh, what was her name, Victoria? Victoria, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't <laughs> worry, Victoria. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least be a six again, maybe a seven. Uh, <laughs> I'm shooting for seven because that's just cute. Uh, 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 I got a song on the new record, actually, about my addiction to sugar. It's called Sugar. Uh, right. I, wrote, I wrote it as if it was uh, about you know my wife, but it's not. It's about sugar. Right. That's, well, that's another question I wanted to get to. And thanks again to all the people that submitted questions. I'll try to get in a couple more. Um, pure evil, and just follow me on this one for a second. It's similar to Between the Lines and Skinny White Pimp and your first person, your first person perspective telling in these instances of a nefarious character. And in Sugar, you know, you sort of are addressing, you're taking just a very different route um, and a different perspective on a song. Does your ability to take on the perspective of somebody else or write a song about sugar that, you know, appears to be about one thing but really is about another, is that something that you work consciously on? Does it just sort of come naturally to you? Does Ant foster that in you, either, you know, giving you direction when you guys are working together or something that you hear in the beat? How does that come about? Sometimes Ant will tell me something before he'll even play me one of his new beats. He'll be like, hey, think about this when you hear this beat. Um, and usually when he does, he's right. Like he, so whenever Ant has an idea for a concept of a beat, that usually works out. Like right now off the top of my head, I don't know if I could name any of the ones that he, oh, you know, um, on this record, I think won't look back. He kind of had an idea of where the direction he thought it should go. And so then what I do is I take that idea and I sit and I, I stare at the music for a little while and then I start writing and I see what happens. Um, most of the time he just gives me beats, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty rare that he has an idea for what a song should be. But one, but when he does, he's usually right. But most of the time he just gives me beats and I sit there and I stare at him and I go, uh, we'll take sugar. For example, I'm like, well, this beat is beautiful. It's pretty. Um, and I don't really write love songs. My version of the love song is a little bit more, you know, uh, it's torrid. It's got you know. There's there's issues there. You know. It's like love with a with a chaser of of 
some other negativity or something. So I'm staring at it like, well, do, do, do I want to write a love song? And I'm like, I do, but it's got to be the kind of love song that also allows me to be honestly um, upset or honestly frustrated. And, well, you know, I've written that song a few times. So I was like, well, how right. do I take another stab at that? Because I feel like that's what the beat's asking for. And And so, you know... If I got to write another one, I'll do it because that is what the beat's asking for. It's not like I'm going to get on that beat and, and write about, you know, what it would be like to be a shrub. So I'm, 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 I'm looking at it and that's when I'm like, well, I could do it through, you know, sugar, my love for actual sugar. And then that's when it opened me up to go, well, okay, now with that in mind, I can actually use the metaphor and still talk about things that will make my wife go, is this about me? Did you write another song about me? Right. <laughs> Do not tell her that I imitated her voice like that. Okay. We're just okay. going to keep this between us and the listeners. Cause she well, I was going to say, while I'll encourage everybody on the planet to listen to the Chromebills podcast, your wife will be the one person who'll say, you know what, it's probably not for you. You probably yeah, won't yeah, like it. Uh, no, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tweet her. Um, but uh, the, 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 it's, so it's, you know, it's, there's another one that comes to mind is a song called The Waitress. Um, when Anthony gave right. me that song, I wanted to write about parenthood. But I was like, well, man, I have a song on here that deals with my parenthood already, which was the song "Me" that kind of goes through like how, as a child, these my I have, my parents were kind of like this, and now as an adult, as a partner, I'm kind of like this, and as a parent, I'm kind of like. And then I also had the song yesterday, with, which dealt with my my father passing away, and then I had this other song on there, uh, the, the music box, which was kind of about the father and the, and the girl. And I was like, so do I really write another parenthood song? And I was like, well, I just got to figure out how to write it and that's why i wrote about the homeless guy who at the end you don't really know if he's her dad but it 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 forces him to confront his own shortcomings as a father just in that moment because of her and maybe that's why he you know that's why he loves her even if it's not really his daughter it's just a random waitress but he still loves her because it reminds him that he has to feel guilty and he needs that guilt he can't go get it from his actual daughter so he's He's allowing her to project whatever her issues are onto him just so he could feel like a parent. Right. That's brilliant. I mean, you know, it's picking your brain about songwriting is one of my favorite things to do. And another thing that uh, I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned working with Ant, for me and Macintosh on Twitter, I thought this was an excellent question. What song have you and Ant had the most passionate disagreement about, and how was it resolved? You know, we usually don't get super passionate when we disagree. Uh, I think both of us know, you know, the rule number one to uh, having a disagreement with somebody that you love is you have to stop and ask yourself, who wants to win this more? It's not always about who's right. When it's with somebody you really care about, you got to sometimes just stop and go, well, who wants to win this more? And both of us know that rule. And so I think, you know unannounced we both kind of apply that and and sometimes i back down sometimes he backs down now with that said i can't really name a song that we've had a huge disagreement about but i could say that for every time we put out a record there's generally two songs two to three songs on that record that i didn't want to put on the record and there's generally two to three songs on that record that he didn't want to put on that record but we still put them on because we knew the other one liked it so much. You know, when there's a song that we both don't want to put on the record, obviously that doesn't go on the record. You know what I mean? But, but right. there's usually, uh, you know, I can name 
for any album that we've done, I can name a couple of songs on there that I was like, yeah, the only reason that song made the cut was because Ant really liked it. You know what I mean? And and but here's the thing though, you know, I backed that dude so much that I still stand next to those songs. You know what I'm saying? Because I know that just because maybe my taste, you know, didn't care that much for that joint, that doesn't mean that I don't I don't support his taste and that I won't, you know, I mean I'll I'll back that dude to the end. If he if he if he if he loves it, he loves it. You know what I mean? There's never been a I have a Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I have a, a, and I think our listeners are going to kick out of this too. I have a great anecdote um, or story that I remember from seeing uh, you interact with Ant. It was the God Loves Ugly tour, and you guys were playing back-to-back sold-out shows at the Knitting Factory. I can't remember the exact year. Um, and my co-host, Kate Chromosome, remember this. Uh, Kate Chromosome and I were at Fat Beats, and you and Ideal were freestyling. And Ant walked in the room. And I had never, I don't think I even knew what he looked like. And I know know where this is going. I know, I already know. Go ahead, I want you to tell the story, but I I already know what's about to happen. Well, it was interesting because I didn't know, there was a couple people coming up the stairs and into the room, and I didn't know who Ant was. Your entire, like an aura around you sort of lit up when you were like, oh, my man Ant's in the place. You know, and you incorporated incorporated it into a rhyme. You know, didn't make a huge deal out of it. But when I looked over and scanned, like, the seven or eight people that Ant could be, I'm not even sure, like, he made some kind of hand gesture or acknowledged what you had said, but you could see it on his face, like the connection that you two have. Sure. Uh, it, was, it was very real. You know, it wasn't it wasn't contrived. It wasn't, like, two artists that are just sort of sticking together for the money. The friendship, the love between you two guys was very real. It was an awesome thing to see. For a long time, people who didn't see a picture of him or ever see him thought that he wasn't real. They thought I was him and that I had just created this other alter ego to be the production thing. You know what I mean? Like, which right. I don't understand whatever, there's nothing about me that speaks producer. Yeah. I don't even have big hands. You know what I mean? Like it's so, <laughs> it was, it was, you know, that was always weird to me. But then when people, there was a point in time where it finally came together for me. It was like, well, we are the same person in a lot of ways. You know, we are really connected. And it's funny because people will sometimes ask me something and I'll be like, oh, that reminds me of this story. There was this one time when I was, and I'll stop myself two minutes into the story and go, wait, this isn't even my memory. I'm telling you a story that Ant told me right now. Wow. That's crazy. No, that has happened. Like, we we mixed memories up with each other, you know, and we even joke with each other about it. Like, there's times where he's like, did that happen to me or was that slug? And there's times where I'm like, wait, I have this memory, but I don't know if it was because you did it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a trip, but I, but, you know, I mean, let's be real. We've been working together for 20 years, and when we work together, we work together closely. There's only one record that we've ever made that we weren't in the same room for, and that was the, the, the family sign joint that I was just telling you about. You know what I mean? The Southsiders one, we did some, we did some email stuff back and forth because he was living in the Bay, but then he would come back home and sit with me while I sat and went through the edits and while I sat and, you know, reworked the angles, but but the the family sign joint, I wrote that on the back porch. You know what I mean? Like 100%. And it's crazy because that's the one that we passed off as the family record. But that right. was like the, for me, that was one of my most disjointed, you know, or my most, I shouldn't say disjointed, but one of my most individual times, period, you know? I have a theory, you know, and it's that the, the more human beings have relied on things like language, you know, back to what we were talking about with Babylon, but even increasingly with technology and the dulling of the senses and the lack of the need to 
you know, survive on a day-to-day basis as life for a lot of people has become easier and easier. It's really dulled our ability to make connections with people. And I, that was the thing I picked up on that moment. And then I can just hear it, you know, in your voice talking about it now. There's a very real connection between the two of you um, that I think people are starting to miss out on because they're they're relying too much on a screen, you know, and, and something that you can't physically be around somebody else. Um, sure, and so sure. – Sort of leads to another question, and I don't want to get too inside baseball uh, with our audience because I'm not sure, you know, how many of our audience has ever been in a studio or would want to go to a studio. You guys have been – you've made so much material. What would you say is sort of the predominant way you guys would do it? Like, do you literally just record in Ant's basement, you know, with a mic and a pop guard? Have you gone into big-time studios? When you record at home and do demo stuff, is it just, you know, on like a crack version of GarageBand? We we do all of it. Uh, there's no rules to it because it doesn't. It, no matter how you can get it onto tape, you can when you play it back. That's when you know if it's going to be a song or not. And so um, there's songs that we you know it, it's like it's it's rare that we still do stuff on four track tape. But you know I spent the first 15 years with him putting stuff to four track tape. Period. And then once we knew it was a good song, we'd go into a real studio. So when you hear a finished album, nine times out of ten, those songs were all recorded in a real studio. There are times where I've kept my demo takes because I just really liked them and I liked how the sound of the 58 was. I, I, I do all my demos on a, on a Sure 58. Sometimes that 58 gives it that it's that rap sound. You know what I'm saying? That's what it, that's right. what that sort of mic sounds like on stage. You know, so there are times where I keep that vocal otherwise there's times also where i'll go and re-record it in a real studio and just find an effect for it to make it sound like it was on a 58 there's other times where i'll go re-record it in the real studio on a 58 you know what i mean uh but but at the end of the day our rule has always been a i don't care how you record it because this we we're not selling uh a lamborghini here you know what i'm saying like this right. is this what well, we the music we make is headphone music and it's not necessarily always about like being able to hear it on some sort of quality hi-fi situation it's just about how did you feel for the first 8 bars of that song when it came on and that's really that's it those first the first 8 bars is the beat the next 8 bars is half the verse if you within those 16 bars have not decided that you like this song, then you're probably not going to like this song. And that's how we make music. You know, so in that regard, it it doesn't matter what medium you put it on. You know what I mean? Like I've released stuff that was straight up off of a, off of my cracked garage band demo. I've I've released stuff that is, you know, that I went into. Can I take a shot at the dark in the dark as to which one of those would be, or at least sort of. So the song that immediately comes to mind when you talk about the SM58 or the cracked is hockey air. Oh, and you can't imagine how much fun we're having. Almost that whole album was recorded on a 58. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I would say maybe the the last couple of songs on the record were done on a on a blue, but the majority. Oh wait, no, we were doing a Neumann at the time. So yeah, the majority of that record though, I brought a 58 into. Uh, Joe Mavitt's got a studio here in uh, in Minneapolis called The Hideaway, and we were working pretty close with him at the time. And for that record in particular, I'd bring the 58 in, and he would just be like, ugh, 
you know, why are you doing this? Like, let's get the most quality take we want, and then we can go and distort it if you want to distort it. And it was like, well, no, we're going to do it on a 58, and then we're going to distort it even more. My thing at that time was uh, vocals don't – you don't even need to make out the words, dude. It's all about the beat. Make sure there's a lot of bass. You know, we, we, we've gone through a lot of – me and Anthony have gone through a lot of different phases and eras making music. Like, uh, a lot of our records are – even though maybe the material is similar – our approach and technique to creating it consistently changes and evolves, you know, and, and that record in particular, I personally was just like, look, man, as long as there's a ton of 808 and as long as the samples are fucking, you know, uh, uh, people aren't going to be able to necessarily name all of them. You know what I mean? I want a record that was like Paul's Boutique, just full of stuff. You know what I mean? Right. And, that, and that was my whole vibe on that record. And then, you know, what we came with is what Anthony ended up concocting for that, which I thought was great because it was all over the place from gospel to old school hip hop to, you know, the the sped up sample stuff that we were, the soul sample thing that we were into to, there was a, there was some industrial sound and stuff on that record. You know what I mean? And then there was also like, sometimes we do that white boy soul thing where we, we, we dig into that area of classic rock with a tinge of soul. You know what I mean? Kind of a thing. Yeah. There's songs like that on that, and I, and I thought for 13 songs, that was a really good array of different types of sounds, but the things that still tie that record together is the 808 and the distortion on the mic. It's it's interesting that you say that you don't have any sort of outward, you know, inclinations as a producer. I, it's whenever I talk, you know, to shop with you about making music or about listening to music, your ability to put the vocals, you know, in, in their proper place. You know, they, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be, you know, 10th on the list, but they're definitely not the priority. Uh, it's interesting you say that you don't have any sort of inclinations as a producer because it really does sound like you do. At the very least, I'm you a understand. Kind of, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more of a Quincy Jones kind of producer. Like, I right. do credit myself as a producer, but I am just not um, – I just don't have the patience to be that nerd that sits there and struggles with a noise for, you know, five days to try to get it right. You know what I mean? Like, to me, I'm the kind of producer you don't want to have on the final touches because I literally am just going, well, what's the mood? Did we hit the mood? Well, then it's done. I don't right. care if the strings are buried underneath the bass because we hit the mood. That's all that's important to me. So I am that kind of producer, you know. But then you need somebody like Ant to go, well, yeah, let, let's, let me clean this up. You know what I'm saying? Because that's, you know, because that's what kind of producer he is. He's a, here's the thing. I'm not a beat maker. You know what I mean? I'm not a I'm not a beat maker. I'm not a I'm not the kind of person that looks at at, at the painting and goes, "Oh, this is this is uh here's here's what this painting is about and then gives you this full explanation." I look at a painting and I go, "Yeah, brown." <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's how I see yeah. it. That's how I see the music too. I hear a song and I'm like, "Yeah. Yeah, purple." You know, right. and, and, and that's, and, but that's the kind of producer I am, you know, it, whereas Ant, I think he's got that. He also, he has everything that I could ever possibly have as a producer, but he's got way more because he also, he's communicating actual sentences through his music. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kind of like, well, yeah, this one is melancholy. Yeah. You know, right. whereas he's like, well, no, actually it's, it's melancholy with a twist of lime and there's some plaid. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, it's interesting because the song that stood out to me uh, the first time I listened all the way through. You know, I'd heard the singles, I'd heard Ringo, I'd heard No Biggie, Besos. Uh, that beat, particularly, I, I've always felt like you guys are very 
good at picking the right third song for an album. And by third song, I mean like track three. You know That's what I mean? The like, best literally... compliment ever. Thank you. Oh. I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, Bezos, as soon as the beat came on, um, I feel like at some point I want to have you and Ann on. Uh, but for, for time's sake, I want to ask about the hook for Bezos. Yeah. Uh, people, people. So what's the story behind that hook? I just I needed to fill that space in. I was sitting on okay. his couch. Uh, I was sitting on his couch. I had college basketball on the TV in front of me. It was on mute. Uh, Sketchy Jeff was sitting on the couch opposing me. I think he was taking a nap. I think he was sleeping at Ann's house for 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 a few months there. And so I'm sitting there, and I, I got that beat on my laptop. Um, no extra speakers, just the laptop speakers and my 58 and a, a little M box to record vocals into. And uh, I just needed to, I, I, I was like, ooh, I like this verse, I like the second verse, ooh, I like this third verse, I don't have a hook, but I just want to fill in the space with the vibe of the hook. What would the hook, what kind of vibe do I want the hook? So I tried a few different things, and I was like, okay, if I take the hook and lay it actually, a, just a touch more laid back than the verses, and then if I actually say it so that it's not a hook that I'm cut and pasting, but I'm actually going from the verse into the hook, back into the verse, Okay, this is good. And it just so happened that what I filled that hook in with was people, people. I love the word. You know, it, it was just there to have the words in place. And then Demoitis sunk in. Yeah. Demoitis, for those that don't know, is when you get so used to hearing your demo that when you try to add something else to it, you're like, oh, it just doesn't sound right. You know, that's what happened. And so the hook stayed. You know, um, Obviously, I didn't just throw those words there to fully be placeholders. Like, I used those words because I also wanted the, the, the idea of the hook to kind of fit that, you know. And basically, it was just kind of like, leave me the fuck alone, but I accept you. I still love you. Just leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> and so that's kind of what that I, – but when it was all done, I was like, well, yeah, the hook is actually perfect. You know what I mean? Like – it, it, it's like because in the in the hook, I'm like, I love I love you. I love everybody. I love this. I love this. But when you get to the verses, it's like, but step the fuck back. Give me some. Right, right, right. And and then the, what did I call the song? Basos. It was kisses. That's Spanish for kisses. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so it was kind of like, to me, it was like I'm blowing kisses to the sucker MCs. Right. And what's funny, because a kiss, you know, anybody that's ever been in a confrontation, you know, if somebody blows you a mock kiss, you know, that'll fire you up real quick. And it's yeah. funny because kisses, you know, kisses can be... They can have a good and a negative impact. Um, I don't know what your time's looking like. Uh, there was one other question that I wanted to get, and I wanted to give you some time to uh, oh, expand on it. Let's do it. Okay, so um, as I mentioned several times uh, throughout this uh, interview, as of you, um, our mutual friend Idea, rest in peace, um, the last time you and I spoke, um, you know, we, we, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, I asked a pretty stupid question, and you, made it, <laughs> and you were like, you know, I don't really know what the question is. And... What I was trying to do was just give you a chance to, to speak on ideas impact. Um, instead of trying to ask you a question, what I'll do is just say, if you've got anything that you would want to say, you know, about the homie idea, rest in peace, now's a good time to do it. I mean, there's so much that I want to say, uh, and it's all about con, it's all about context, you know, and, and right now I feel like with idea in general, I want his spirit to live forever. I want his art to live forever. Um, and I want his influence to live forever. And so, you know, I have to be a vessel for that myself because I can't expect uh, my neighbor to go and 
and search YouTube for idea videos. I can't expect uh, a kid that starts rapping five years from now to necessarily do that. So I have to be a vessel for that myself. You know, it's it's almost like a thing, you as well, any of us that knew him have to continue to remind people of him, have to, because anytime you show somebody ideas work, generally they go, whoa. Right. And so I feel like, you know, since he's not here to do that anymore, that's kind of on the rest of us, you know. And it's not even just his work, but there were elements of just even where he got his drive from. Uh, there were elements of what what inspired and influenced him that I feel like are still are going to continue to be relevant. You know what I'm saying? Like there's pieces on uh, the Southsiders record and this record, obviously, that I feel like I, you know, in, in I I owe it to my relationship with him and the things that I learned, you know, uh, hanging out with him, traveling with him. You know, um, here's the thing. I've toured a lot. You know, I've been touring now for 15 years. And the first few years of that was with Idea, really closely. Now, if we look at the big picture, I didn't tour with him the majority of that 15 years. But those first three years that I was touring, I was working really closely with him. And those were obviously some of the most impactful years of touring for me because that's when you're you're just getting started and you're learning the ropes and you're figuring out like how to do this and you're having these new experiences and you're meeting people and you know and so to have been able to have kind of gone through that with him, I now reflect on that and think, you know, even though we were 10 years apart, we cut our teeth together and I was able to really see a lot of that touring through his eyes instead of through the eyes of a 27, 28, 29-year-old. I was seeing it through the eyes of a 17, an 18, a 19-year-old. And I think that had a huge impact on why I'm why I'm so optimistic and and have so much fun on the road when I when I talk to some of my contemporaries who are my age who are just kind of like, "Oh my god, I got to go back on tour." Oh my God, I gotta, 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 you know, and it's like, man, I don't have that. I'm still like excited to go take pictures of trees and shit. You know what I'm saying? And I know right. that a, a lot of that kind of comes from, you know, my, my, my initial walkthrough was with somebody who had the energy of a child. You know, somebody who had this youthful energy, and I was able to, like, have this fountain of youth with that, you know? And I, and I feel like that really set me off my whole career um, in a way that, you know, it's obvious. I, I'm, I know I'm old, and I know that I've, I've matured or whatever words you want to use. I've, I've, I've kind of reeled it in. I don't party like I used to. You know, I eat, I eat right. I eat healthy. But I'm still excited to wake up and get out there and go and see what's out there. And I don't mean go see what I can get my hands on, but I mean literally just go look at the things that are out there so I can take pictures of them. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that has always been a theme with your music and particularly on, and again, for our audience out there, the new Atmosphere album is Fishing Blues. It's available everywhere, bronchairs.com uh, especially. There's a song on that album that's called Perfect. And in the third verse, um, you mention, uh, you know, your appearance, your name, and how there's sort of contradiction in, in, in those things. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Yeah. But um, one of the things, particularly on the famous idea and ability song, Smile, where idea says we live in conflict and contradiction, and, you know, things wouldn't be so bad if we just would embrace those things. And I think that one of the themes that you guys shared uh, is leaving room for and even embracing contradiction. And, you know, it's a, and it's a beautiful thing. I think that's for some of the things that you and I have discussed in terms of social strife and differences among communities. 
I think just accepting differences and accepting the flaws and instead of trying to repress them or change them is a very important part of being human. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I agree with that. You know, and it's it's and I really appreciate you saying that and calling that out, especially because that was a a huge. I don't know that he was even aware of how how big the ideas were that he was tinkering with is right. like you know he he was he was really just observing them as this person who was living through it but he i don't think he really knew how good of a job he was doing at articulating some of this stuff you know what i'm saying and so 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 to hear you call that out from the smile and remind mm-hmm. me that he said that is just like man it's comforting because it it it, it reminds me why i am you know going to carry this torch it's yeah. it's easy to carry a torch for somebody you cared about, but this was bigger than somebody I cared about. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like this was this this idea was somebody's Cobain. Yeah, but he was my friend. You know what I'm saying? So as a friend, as a as a as a as a as a companion, as a homie, you know, I cared about him. So of course I'm gonna carry a torch. But shit, dude, he was actually somebody's Cobain, you know what I mean? And so it's kind of, it's it's like, so when you when you actually talk about his lyrics, that's like the last thing I think about necessarily right. when I'm carrying the torch is like how dope of an MC he was, you know what I mean? But it's like, so when you remind me that, oh yeah, he was also a super dope MC, that just reinforces a lot of shit to me, you know? It, it's interesting, you know, because when you said you're not sure, you know, if you knew how good a, a job he was doing, I mean, he was the most confident battle rapper I'd ever met in terms of talking about how good an MC was. But he was also very good at saying, look, I'm a human being. I have my blind spots. And, you know, just in terms of personality, I, I always think it's interesting when, when I started interacting with him, you could see how at his age he was just so aware and he had such a, a an open mind. And I think was, that there's two sides. He was super aware, but also, you know, he was super confident. And with super confidence comes the the flip side of that, which is also – a lot of questioning and a lot of insecurity and a lot of really, you know, um, here's the thing, man. Confidence is a performative thing. You know what I mean? You, you do it. You don't need to do it when you're by yourself, but the only time you really need to be confident is when there's another pair of eyes in the room with you. And that's a, that's a, it's backwards, but that's just kind of how it works. And so this was a guy who was probably one of the most confident MCs I've ever known, but in the same breath, I don't think he ever really fully understood how impactful he was and how good he was and how amazing he was. He was still aiming to get there. And I know you probably have had conversations with him similar to me where he'll sit there and be like, man, I'm the best MC in the world. And you'd be like, come on, man. You know, it's great that you're saying that, but no, I, I really am. But I think at the end of the day, he still was trying to become the best MC in the world. You know what I mean? And, and that and that and that confidence that he had was part of the, the 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 building blocks that he needed to use in order to like really get there. You know? Yeah, it's interesting that you've said to, you know about recording or just there aren't any rules to it. Just get get it done and get it done in the right way and have it have that right feel. And I always thought that's how he viewed. You know, being an MC, but also as a person, there isn't an end game for this. There's a process to it. And as long as I'm doing my job with the process, and then I'm being the best that I can be. You know, it's funny. He actually, he talked to me once about um, what, about art. He was like, there's two different kinds of artists. And I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be able to quote this right because it's a long time ago. But it was something to, something to do with uh, 
the, there's the artist that whose whose idea is the painting. It's on the wall. It's being looked at by people. That's the point of the art. And then there's the other artist that's more into the actual technique that's being put into it. So it's like the difference between um, the time spent doing it versus the end results kind of a situation you know and i and, and and i don't think one is more important than the other but they are two very different worlds right what, what, what world do you sit in where do you think you sit as a as a as a mc your listeners know that you rap right uh, yes i would help yeah. to at this point yeah, yeah. um okay. so you know, MC, it's funny what would what, 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 do, do you think that you make records so that you can see what the record is like when you sit back and listen to it? Or do you think you make records because you're trying to solve puzzles as you're making the record? Uh, as, as I would imagine you would say the same, it depends on what stage. I'm 37 now, and it depends on what stage you know, you're in. When I first started, I was 18, and I was just doing my best impression of what I thought a dope MC was. And then I started working with uh, a guy, Jason, uh, who made the beats for a group called Educated Consumers. And he had a very specific idea of what he wanted a rap song to sound like. So as we worked together, I created songs, you know, nothing that I ever regretted, but sort of in that mold. And then when when Educated Consumers was over, the next record I made is called Cool Fuel. And all of the beats on that album are beatboxed by a childhood friend of mine named Max Bent. And half of the stuff doesn't rhyme. There's always a cadence to it. There's always sort of a 4-4 approach to it. But that's the album artistically where I didn't think much about, you know, it didn't take long to make. And when I look back at the process, the end product, I don't think I'll ever do anything better artistically than that. Now what I'm doing, I have a EP called With. Each song is me with two other MCs. I just write a 16-bar verse, you know, a hook, send a demo to people that I think would sound good on it. Next LP that I have, it's sort of formulaic along those lines. Sure, what I would sure. prefer to do every time would be cool fuel. Just, you know, I, I beg Max. I was like, dude, I'll give you 2500 bucks, you know, to, to just give me 12 beats. He doesn't <laughs> want to do anything. You know what I mean? I was like, he doesn't want to do anything as dark as cool fuel. But for whatever reason, and I imagine it's the same kind of energy vibe that you have with Ant, when I get stuff from Max or a buddy of mine named Cubby Bear, you know, it doesn't take me a week to get the first two lines. They come within 30 seconds, and I'm done with the verse in maybe 60 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would always be my preference. You know, I, I've worked out uh, some stuff with uh, Sage. I'd imagine, you know, he might have some input, and I would be open to it. If left to my own devices, I would make 10 more cool fuels. But I've also done it in other ways, you know, where I've been a little bit more methodical or formulaic with the approach. You know, as long as it gets done, I guess, to answer your question. Speaking of Sage, another battler, uh, he's, you know, he, he battled his way up the ladder as well. Right. He, we, we mentioned earlier about uh, blowing a kiss to a rapper to piss him off. Sage was always uh, the kind of dude that in a battle would, like, actually, like, hyperextend his neck and plant a kiss right on your forehead while you're rapping. You know what I mean? Like, this was a right. dude who really took that arrogance of, of, of kind of... Uh, you know, the the way he dealt with the sucker MC was that it was that kind of thing, and I've always kind of that's an, you know that's an, that's he's another one that I would say uh, even like idea where it's like his his trajectory is like I don't know if he knows necessarily. I mean, I'm sure you know to to some extent all of us artists know that we're we're, we're enjoying ourselves. We like doing this. There's reasons we do it. There's different validations we get. But I don't know if Sage is is, is fully aware of the type of impact that he makes on people because the people that love his stuff 
love his stuff. You're not you're not iffy about a Sage Francis. You're not right. iffy about an idea. You know what I'm saying? You're not iffy. You're not, you're not like, well, yeah, I like some of his stuff. You're, you're like, you either really like this person or you're like, I can't stand that fucker's voice. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. Anyway. It's it, well, that's another interesting thing. You know, we, we were talking about Trump and all that. Like, being polarizing now is to your advantage. And I guess it always has been to a certain degree. But when you're selling your personality, you don't want to be down the middle of the road. You know, right. you want to be polarizing. And that's something I, I got to give you credit for. I, I you know. I would tell you if it was different. I've never met an artist who was like, you know what, fuck that dude. You know, I, I, every well, you instance, know, every inner. I actually just was having this conversation with my aunt yesterday uh, because some of the record reviews have been showing up for the Fishing Blues album. And there was a uh, Spin Magazine gave it a really bad review. In fact, they called it the worst atmosphere album ever. And it was like, good. You know, I would rather you... I would rather you say this is the worst atmosphere album ever than say, oh, it's, you know, middle of the road. It's average. You know what I'm saying? I would, because calling it horrible still galvanizes my fan base because they want to speak out and go, fuck you, it's not. And, but also calling it horrible can take a person who's never heard of you and go, oh, wow, this is the meanest shit I've ever read. I wonder what this record sounds like. You know, right. it, well, it, it, creates, it creates interest. You know what I'm saying? It's like, whereas if you just go, yeah, I'd give it a six. It's kind of, it's okay, and it's also, right. I don't know. You know, then it's like, who the fuck wants to hear that? You know what I mean? Like, I, But if you tell me, hey, this rapper just made the worst record of all time, I'm going to go buy two copies because that's historic. I want the worst record of all time. <laughs> well, I can tell you what's not the worst record of all time. Fishing Blues, the new atmosphere record, Sean. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I never okay. feel like I get all the questions. Absolutely. I never feel like I get all the questions answered. So, or at least asked, I look forward to the next time you put something out so we can have you on Chrome Bills again. Right on, man. And I'll tell you what, once I get my podcast up and running, I might, I might hit you up to return a favor. Absolutely, man. You know I'm down. That's what's up. All right, be good and travel safe on the upcoming tour. You kick it off uh, September 2nd, right? September 2nd in Colorado at, a, at, a, this, at this little intimate venue called Red Rocks. It's going to be awesome. Listen, there is a picture of a girl's butt on your Twitter feed uh, for no, standing at the top of the amphitheater. I, yeah. <laughs> it, it's like... Uh, <laughs> Listen, man, ignore the butt. Look at the Red Rocks. It's, 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 it's worth seeing that alone. But yeah, absolutely. Good luck on the tour. Travel safe, man. Thanks, man. Have a great day. All right, bud. Peace. All right, peace. Till the gov see you come up It's like a jungle, never know what's gonna run up We just wanna live forever with the thumbs up Barcelona, no stops, got the bump up Smartphone in case cops pull the gun up Artichoke, hard, soft, mock, duck, tough Garcon, bring a cup of that young drunk I ain't your boy, baby, you got me fucked up Wait, let me state it plainly, shut the fuck up Trust don't occupy space with dumb luck Hush, buzz, got the tour bus bugged up Shh 
dirty like the wheels on a dump truck Birds stuck through the security with nunchucks Adrenaline rush, the whole party jump up I flood nut on her sponge butt It goes people, people I love the way you love the people, people People, people I love the way you love the people, people People, people I love the way you love the people, people People from everywhere gather around Got a routine, cause I fiend for structure But you shooting at the ring in the moon Screaming fuck the world, cause that girl don't love you There's a few dreams to choose But if they let you keep your shoestrings They don't want you to suffer And if you're blessed, you can haunt each other In a city of ghosts where the vultures flutter Now, mood swings, a convenient excuse Seems that there's gotta be something in the butter Smother the fire before it gets discovered One foot in the grave, the other foot in the gutter Uh Boosting any loose thing If it ain't screwed down It becomes prey to my hunger I take it back to my underground bunker Stay cool everybody Have an awesome summer It goes people, people I love the way you love the people People People, people I love the way you love the people People People, people I love the way you love the people 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 from everywhere gather around You never treat me like I'm homeless Unless it mean you about to see me with some donuts Or dominant denomination where your zone is What you thinking? It's the reason we in showbiz Work like a clown with the squirt guns loaded Only thing worse than being lonely is coke dick Word got around and now we call you blowfish You was pissing in your own bowl of porridge When I rode across the ocean on the back of a tortoise Never see me try to act like I'm gorgeous Greasy motherfucker make it party with the socials Tweet a picture of my penis to the POTUS Roll my weed in the papers of some old eviction notices The police came like a swarm of locusts Hanky-panky-yanky doodle of America